This is the Aspen Public Radio Newscast. I'm your host, Eleanor Bennett, here with your top stories this Friday. A heavily armed man who was found dead at the Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park last year had researched mass shootings online, according to the AP. The recent Roaring Fork High grad died by suicide, and authorities say they still haven't determined his motives or if he was planning an attack. Diego Barajas Medina's body was found in a bathroom at the park, surrounded by weapons on the morning of October 28th. That's according to a previously released 911 call. Police also found a message on the bathroom wall that said, quote, I'm not a killer, I just want to get into the cave. CPR reports that police looked into the young man's background and medical history and found no previous run-ins with law enforcement or contact with mental health services. The Garfield County Sheriff's Office says the firearms discovered were ghost guns. These unregistered and untraceable guns are often assembled at home with parts that can be purchased online without a background check. A new state law that outlawed ghost guns starting January 1st has already drawn legal challenges from gun rights groups. The Garfield County clerk is in the process of counting nearly 3,000 signatures on a petition to remove Tony May from the Garfield RE2 school board. Newcastle resident Scott Belitho is hoping to take May's seat, whether in a recall election or if May resigns. Caroline Yanez has more. Belitho has lived in Newcastle since 2006, and three of his kids have graduated from Coleridge High School. He says he was alarmed at May's introduction of the right-wing American birthright standards for the district's social studies curriculum, which he says present an incomplete picture of American history. But he was pleased that the school board listened to the community and voted to reject American birthright. I think that the community was hurt. And I think that's really what's important, is engaging the community to really help set policy. And I think it, I think it worked. He says that if he were elected to the board, his first steps would be to get to know district staff and teachers to find out what they feel are the best steps to help students succeed. Belitho says his family's experience with the district has been positive, and he'd like to see teacher retention made a bigger priority. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. May has not yet responded to any of Aspen Public Radio's requests for comment. Over 170 migrants, mostly from Venezuela, have arrived in the valley since early November, but many of them have not been able to find stable housing in the valley. That includes Libya and her partner Anna, as well as Anna's kids, who are leaving Aspen for Denver this week. We're only using their first names to protect their privacy. Libya says local nonprofit Response helped pay for five weeks of rent for their family in Aspen because Anna is a survivor of domestic abuse. Here's Libya speaking through interpreter Claudia Paul. Well, right now we are happy. You know, everything that's happened here in Aspen so far has been perfect. It's been wonderful. But there is no place to live. There's no apartments that are attainable or that are accessible with the rent. So we're sad to be living in Aspen. Response helped the family find housing in Denver and will be paying for another month of rent while they get their feet on the ground. But like many of the nonprofit's clients, their ability to work is limited due to their immigration status. Tiffany Bledsaw is the housing program manager for Response. Response is also able to help 
with immigration attorney fees, like at least a, a small portion to try to get them in to start helping them with that process. Um, but it is a struggle that I've seen since I've started. In the coming weeks, Response hopes to match Anna and her family with a domestic violence organization in Denver. Bledsaw says funding and affordable housing are two of the biggest barriers they face in helping people in the short and long term. But she's hopeful that the new shelter they're building in Basalt will help. Response broke ground on the shelter in November and is expecting to open its doors in January 2025. The city of Glenwood Springs has launched a year-long process to strategize how it can reduce energy use and emissions from its own operations. As part of the process, the city will update its Energy and Climate Action Plan, which was originally written in 2009. The new plan will identify ways to increase energy efficiency and reduce greenhouse gas emissions in city-owned buildings, utilities, and solid waste facilities. The project kicked off in September with site visits to city properties and meetings with city leaders to discuss their priorities. In December, city employees responded to a survey sharing creative ideas for climate-friendly projects and practices. And now project consultants are working on an inventory of the city government's energy consumption. In local arts and culture news, a musical group called Black Violin will perform at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen tonight, combining the sounds of classical music with the beat of hip-hop. Kaya Williams has more. The band is led by Kev Marcus and Will Baptiste, who met in a high school orchestra back in the 90s. When they started Black Violin several years later, Marcus says their vision seemed impossible. Two black guys playing hip-hop on classical instruments was a hard sell at first. But over time, their music caught on. They're now Grammy-nominated artists on a national tour with a DJ and other musicians. For 20 years, we've been able to kind of create something out of thin air that is ours. It's like we just were fearless with it and did what we felt we wanted our music to sound like. Marcus says he wants people to leave the performance with a thirst for life and a drive to pursue their own passions. We want every young student that is in our audience not to just go be a violinist because I'm a violinist. Like, what is it that you love to do? What makes you tick? The show at the Wheeler starts at 7.30 p.m. tonight. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. Today is your last chance to buy discounted tickets for the Roaring Divas drag performance at the Arts Campus at Willits tomorrow night. Same-day tickets will go up to $35 tomorrow. The local group is bringing in four drag queens from Grand Junction, and they're going to compete against each other to see who is the ultimate lip-sync performer. Tomorrow's lip-sync battle extravaganza takes place at 8 p.m. at Takaw. Another round of snow is making its way across the state with the heaviest snow forecast for southwest Colorado and the high country, including the Roaring Fork Valley. A winter storm warning has been issued in the Aspen Snowmass area from 11 a.m. today through tomorrow night. Open snow is still predicting that the most flakes will fall tomorrow with up to 15 inches possible. And don't forget, Ski for the Pass takes place this Sunday. The event is co-organized by Ute Mountaineer and is a fundraiser for the Independence Pass Foundation. Registration closes today at 3 p.m. 
In statewide news, whether you call them granny flats or accessory dwelling units, ADUs have attracted plenty of attention as a housing solution. And now Colorado lawmakers want to give them a financial and legal boost. CPR's Andrew Kenny reports. A new bill at the state legislature would make it easier to build small, secondary homes on existing single-family properties. Democratic Representative Judy Amabile. People should be able to have an aging parent live with them or a disabled child or should be able to monetize some extra space. The bipartisan measure would force dozens of cities to allow ADU construction, although many smaller areas would get an exemption. It would also offer up $18 million to help cities and homeowners get the units built. I'm Andrew Kenny, CPR News. And in regional news from Rocky Mountain Community Radio, avalanche danger persists across much of the Mountain West. Ethan Green is the director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. He says more snow coming this weekend could increase likelihood of avalanches. More snow uh, typically means more avalanches, but also really when that snow comes. So like this year, for example, we've had a very dry year. We have snow on the ground, but it's not very deep and In Colorado, that means that we're developing weak layers. We're developing structural weaknesses in the snowpack that are going to produce avalanches when we do get snow on them. A backcountry snowboarder died last month in southwest Colorado, the first avalanche fatality in the state this winter. Also in January, a backcountry skier was killed in Wyoming. Green says backcountry recreationalists make up the majority of avalanche fatalities. He says people need to take precautions before heading into the mountains. Taking a course where you're actually in the field with an instructor is super helpful. And then if you're moving into avalanche terrain, uh, make sure that you have uh, proper rescue equipment. That's an avalanche transceiver, uh, a probe pole, and a shovel. You need to know how to use those uh, pieces of equipment because your group is going to be your best chance at a good outcome if you get involved in an accident. Green says it's important to check avalanche conditions before heading into the backcountry. Forecasts for the region can be found at avalanche.org. The Aspen Public Radio newscast is produced by our news team, which includes Hallie Zander, Caroline Yanez, Kaya Williams, and me, your host, Eleanor Bennett. You can listen to the show every weekday morning on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.